Welcome to Health Equity Now. I'm your host, John Gorman, here in Washington, D.C., with my dear friend, Ellie Hollander, the Chief Executive at Meals on Wheels America. Ellie, it's just great to see you again, sister. Really wonderful. You to too, have you. John. Thanks for having me. No, it's a pleasure. These are extraordinary times for you and this uh, incredibly heralded organization you lead. You know, one of the most storied brands in America is Meals on Wheels. And uh, now, you know, in the middle of this pandemic, you know, renewed emphasis on its critical importance in the fabric of America. Tell us a little about what the organization is today. It's certainly changed a lot and it's what now, 50? Almost 50 years. Yeah, yeah. that's what Almost I thought. Years. Yeah. Well, you know, do you want to talk about during pandemic or do you want to talk about pre-pandemic? So, you know, it, it, maybe we should talk about where we are right now. Yeah, and, let's, uh, and let's do that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, look, overnight when the pandemic hit, our programs literally had to adapt. They have a normally, as you know, John, high touch service model. Yeah. And Meals on Wheels programs for people that don't know, not only were serving meals in senior centers, places where people would who were more Hungry. mobile, yeah. exactly, but also in the home. So let's talk about what happened in these congregate facilities. They had to be adapted overnight to be able to have drive-through grab-and-go meal sites. So seniors who could get to these wow. senior centers mm -hmm. could drive up, grab a, you know, a week's worth of meals and take them home. Um, and what we found over time is that the homebound population has actually increased. So sure. if you look at, you know, if you look at Older Americans Act data, you'd say that a, you know, a year ago we were serving 2.4 million seniors. And based on just some $31 million in grant funding that we provided through our COVID-19 response fund, those programs are serving a million more seniors than they were before and over 19 million more meals in just a very short period of time. So short story is our wheels have been rolling like mad. We've had to adapt our high touch model so that we're keeping physical distance, but yeah. social connection. Which has always been the hallmark of Meals on Wheels as opposed to you know, the legions of other meal providers and vendors that are out there has always been that that social and safety check that accompanied the the home delivery it wasn't just dropping off a block of frozen food on the front doorstep and driving off it was the intense value of having one of your how many volunteers and affiliates now uh ellie yeah well so there are five thousand meals on wheels programs across the country wow and relying on over two million volunteers now couple of things I want to say about the, the yeah. legions of other for-profit providers. What separates Meals on Wheels is that we have the trust, as you said, a story brand, nine out of 10 know us, nine out of 10 think favorably, yeah. to actually enter the home. We're invited to go into yeah. homes. We're the first line of contact if a senior has a question or they need a wraparound service. Um, our volunteer corps skews on older. So sure. during the pandemic, we had a lot of volunteers that rightfully and understandably needed to scale back on volunteering because they needed to stay home too. So um, what we've been doing is uh, hiring more paid drivers, using our standard volunteers who are working from home or staying home to make phone calls. So we're continuing to check on our seniors. We're doing it in slightly different ways. But what's different is we're more than a meal. So even if, you know, we're not able to cross the threshold into the home every day, we're checking in our seniors, we're making sure that they have what they need. 
it's an amazing bit of uh, just innovation and, you know, pivoting in terms of how you all have done your, your, your most core service offerings and how you've had to adapt, you know, in this new environment to do it. Um, I know you and I have spoken for years about, you know, the critical role, of course, of food in healthcare. And, you know, especially in a pandemic when we've got now, you know, over 45 million folks still unemployed, um, you know, and we've seen such a huge proportion of the population, literally food insecure and not knowing where their next meal is coming from. You identified early on, Ellie, that, you know, it was gonna be relationships with insurers that you thought would be really the next generation of, you know, the evolution of Meals on Wheels as a partner in the community, as well as a service provider. Tell me a little bit about, you know, some of the business that the, uh, the organization's doing with insurers now and how you're, you're using that to get a broader reach for what you guys do. Yeah, I mean, the journey's been a little bit longer than I'd like to say it is. And I think we <laughs> might've been a little ahead of healthcare, shockingly. But as you said, John, when yeah. you and I started talking years ago about the social determinants of health, I mean, this is what Meals on Wheels does every day, right? Yeah. It's, it's their sweet spot. Yeah. And um, we've, we've partnered really closely with companies like Humana, where we not just doing meals, but also doing friendly visits, uh, for example. Yeah. We've worked with Aetna to take our change of condition uh, uh, system, which is a handheld device, an app, where we can notify uh, a care coordinator or case manager mm-hmm. if we notice any change, if there's you know any change in condition that might warrant uh, a visit or from a medical provider or something. Yeah. So. We've done a, a lot with regard to partnering with healthcare. There's still so much. To me, it's a nation opportunity. And so we're leaning in big time at Meals on Wheels. Our plan is to really invest further in the infrastructure to take Meals on Wheels health to a new level. Because as Mark Bertolini said to me years ago, mm-hmm. um, healthcare should be joined at the hip with Meals on Wheels because we have the trust. It's going from the exam table to the kitchen table. And that's where you really learn about what the challenges and issues are that are dealing with this high need, high cost, high risk population. And there's nothing like the eyes and ears of a trusted person in their living space, you know, to really just even to make the value of just layperson observations during that 15 to 20 minute social and safety check that defines Meals on Wheels. Um, We talked years ago about how you had this vision of deploying technology to your volunteers and your folks in the field to enable them to, you know, really be able to report data like that and their observations, um, because that's so valuable given how frequently they are in the home during what's been a sustained lockdown, you know, and the value of some of the things that they see while they're on those social and safety checks. How's that been going for you? Because that's really a true measure of the evolution of an organization like yours, right? Yeah, well, in the programs we've been piloting this, it's worked quite well. And we've gotten some early indications of a problem before it becomes a crisis, which is a whole idea. Um, but we're also wanting to sort of evolve that, that model to be able to um, coordinate you know, other community connections. One of the other things that we've been doing is if we notice that there's a safety hazard in the home, mm-hmm. you know, fall prevention. Oh, is huge. Right, yeah. huge, mm-hmm. huge issue. Yeah. Um, and, and also with pets. I mean, we go into a lot of our seniors' homes. You and I have pets. We know, we know how important they are to, yep. to uh, companionship and, and to reduce loneliness. 
uh, a lot of our seniors, you know, need meals for their pets. So they're not giving their own meals to the pets. We're doing that too. Wow. So, you know, we, we, we have a, we have a partnership with PetSmart Charities where we're oh, doing that. Uh, right. We're working with the Home Depot Foundation. We've been working with them for years uh, to go into homes where they're military veterans or families of military veterans where they need some safety uh, yeah. remediation. Yeah. So we, th this is what we talk about more than just a meal. The meal is the entree. It's really all of those other special services they're going to keep a senior more healthy, safe, and independent in their own home, and therefore out of hospitals, out of VDs, out of nursing homes. And the huge value that that presents to the rest of the health system. Exactly. exactly. It's, it's just it's so simple. It's like, it's still baffling to me, Ellie, in all the years that we've been talking about this, that it's taking this long for the industry to awaken to how important this is. You know, one of the things that really made me think of you was in seeing the 2021 benefits for Medicare Advantage and seeing this dramatic increase in the number of plans that are now offering meal benefits to their seniors in their Medicare Advantage products. And what was really interesting about that was that it, um, it was a big move away from just episodic meal delivery. So my mother, you know, was enrolled in Aetna's MA plan in, in Maine, and she was in the hospital four times last year. And every time when she got home, there's two, two weeks worth of frozen food waiting for her so that God forbid she wouldn't have to make decisions between food and, and medicine. Yeah. Um, and now we're seeing that really becoming not just an episode-based benefit, but a sustained food benefit, you know, maybe administered on a monthly basis that, um, that you know, a much greater number of beneficiaries were going to be uh, accessible to. So, and that made me think of you because that's, you know, exactly where we want you guys. It's not just in the two weeks following a hospitalization, but for those that need food security, that's a, that's a constant year long benefit that's needed. Right. Absolutely. And tell those plants to call us. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I assume you've seen a big uptick in your business in just this last couple of years since meal benefits really took off in Medicare. Yeah, advantage. We have, and you know, the, the challenge has been quite honestly, John is referrals. Uh, you know, we set up a, a great program, conceptual program. We're ready to do it. We train all of our programs. We go through all the compliance. Everything's ready just to pull the trigger. But the number of referrals sometimes is really low. And really? we've been working pretty closely with some of our health plan partners to try to figure out what can be done differently. Hmm. One pilot that we've been working on that I think is a real success story is uh, we've been working with Johns Hopkins Bayview. Um, Really? And, you know, they're a health system oh, yeah. and our, our program, Meals and Wheels Central Maryland in Baltimore, uh, focused on high need, high, complex need population, uh, people that have been in the hospital either the last year or have had a couple of ED visits in the last year mm -hmm. um, and, tr and tracking them for three months to give them, you know, upon discharge or when they're leaving, you know, leaving the hospital, the idea is to keep them home and not, not, you know, re-hospitalized. Right. And it's been very successful. Uh, I can imagine. Services have been nutrition, socialization, um, checking for safety hazards in the home and reporting on them. And also if they have some need for medical equipment to make sure that they have that equipment, you know, uh, what, whether it's a walker or whatever, whatever it may be, yeah. those four interventions and, Hopkins just recently wrote a paper about the savings that they've seen, reductions 
in rehospitalizations, less acute care. And for the people that did end up having to go back to the hospital, much shorter visits sure. and, and less healthcare costs. They're not, instead of going into the critical care unit, they're just going into the hospital. So this is great. And what we need to do, as you always have said, we've got to get the evidence base because we're not a commodity. We're a service, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, to your point, there's commodities in food delivery and then there's services. And that's one of the key differentiators of you and the, the legions of for-profit competitors that are out there, right? right? What are some of the other things that, you know, have separated the Meals on Wheels network from some of the more local for-profit affiliates of, of uh, others? Well, you know, I, I, I don't want to speak badly of anybody. And for some, <laughs> I think it's perfect, you know, a frozen dropship stack of meals is perfectly fine Works for right? some people yeah for some people for the people the high need people that we're talking about with multiple chronic conditions i mean we're talking about 90 percent of the seniors that we serve take three or more medications daily you know 87 87 excuse me it's reversed 90 percent have three or more medical conditions and 87 percent take three or more medications daily these <sighs> folks cannot take a, a, a box load of frozen meals yeah and know what to do with it. They can't even lift it. So I, I think that, like I said, there's there's an opportunity for both. Um, we're also working on getting our price point down with with meals. We want them to be um, more medically tailored. Mm -hmm. so, you know, they don't have to be necessarily the extreme, but we want to do that. We want to make sure that they're culturally appealing and appropriate. And we want it. We've learned based on the pandemic that you know not every everybody wants a hot meal. A lot of people love that hot meal, but some people do want frozen meals delivered at a certain time. And so we are leaning in big time into investing in the infrastructure to enable us to do more customization like that going forward. It won't happen you know overnight, but this is yeah. the direction that we're going because we want to make sure that the nutritious meal, which is specifically for seniors, uh, is is tasty and appealing because if they don't eat it, who cares? Right? right. Right. Exactly. My God, Ellie, listen to you. It's like, you become like a supply chain blockchain <laughs> master. Now it's amazing. Look, Just, look, look what you've taught me. What can I, well, I mean, and it's incredible. And you know, we always held you guys out when we were launching uh Senseo, which was our, our house calls company that we spun out of Gorman health group. Um, and we, you know, we, we had this network of 6,000 mobile docs that were going out and doing house calls and we we're prepping case files overseas for the night before. And it was this, you know, very, very tightly run operation, but we were only getting in the door maybe 41% of the time with a doc in a white coat showing up at the house. And you guys were easily getting twice that and showed, you know, the, the huge value of that friendly, familiar face and prepared food that's ready for the person receiving it. And I was always struck, Ellie, by the enormous value of those 2 million volunteers and those 5,000 affiliates because you guys can get in the door. Tell me what you think about that workforce and what's, how is that part of your vision for where you're taking the organization because these are folks that get to places that nobody else does in America and that can have unique influence over the people that they're serving. And I look at those 2 million folks and I'm thinking, 
community health workers and how, you know, how do we, how do we train these folks to really make that time indoors with that beneficiary utmost valuable? Um, how do you think about your workforce going forward in the future? Yeah, well, let me just say before I even go there, they're, they're, they're the heroes. I mean, the, what they have been doing, the, the relationships that they built, it's about relationships, it's about trust. Many of the folks that work for Meals on Wheels or that are volunteers are really committed, John. I mean, this is what, this is what gets them up in the morning, yeah. right? You know, it's the mission, it's purpose-driven. Um, and those relationships are what make all the difference in the world. Uh, we, we think that we're gonna see a, a pipeline of even younger volunteers. We were able to engage a number who were home from college and stuck because of the pandemic. And they caught the bug too, to see the difference that you're making yeah. uh, when you're delivering that meal and making sure you're checking in on somebody. So I, uh, I have the utmost confidence that these programs are gonna be um, around for the long haul. They're gonna innovate. And we're going to invest in them at meal, from Meals and Wheels America and help them, you know, grow into into what they can be. Because I feel like Meals on Wheels is all about the health and well-being of the seniors that we serve. Yeah. And more and more seniors are needing us. Uh, the population is growing, and we want to make sure that we're there for us. You know, your mom's maybe getting meals. I want to make sure okay. you and I get those meals yeah. when yeah. it's time for us. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Can't just rely on those teenage daughters of ours. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely yeah. not. Um, what is what is something about Meals on Wheels America? I mean, it's you know again one of the most storied brands in the country that that most folks don't know about. Yeah, I, I think it's that we're more than just a meal. I think a lot a lot of people think of meal delivery, Meals on Wheels. They get meals to folks. We do, but if you ask the seniors that we're visiting, they'll tell you that the meal is 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 great but what's even more important is the visit the fact that somebody is checking in on them that they are not worried about falling over the weekend and not being found by somebody right. we are their extended family and that if they need something done in the home if they need their pet taken care of you know if they need transportation if they need to find out about vaccines that's another area by the way that we're, we're I was we're just going to ask you about it yeah tell yeah. me totally well you know we are really trying to help with vaccine education and also with, with de deployment. And uh, several of our programs already have worked with their local health departments or their EMS to actually, for homebound seniors, to actually sign them up and get vaccinations in the home, into the arms of people in their own home, or when they are more mobile and can get to a, maybe a senior center to arrange for that transportation and make that happen. And uh, we're, we're hoping very soon in the, in the new relief package that the Congress is currently considering, it's on the Senate side right now, right. that there will be additional funding for senior nutrition programs to help more with vaccine education and dissemination. And that, those are some active uh, opportunities that, that you at, at the national office are chasing as well as in, in the vaccine distribution effort. I mean, it's been, we're, we're both here in Washington where the rollout has been a disaster, uh, frankly. And um, I have to imagine that with now this, uh, it seems a renewed awakening to the fact that we need to vaccinate the folks at greatest risk first, yeah. uh, that you'd be getting a lot of outreach from local and state governments right now. Yeah. And it's, I think people are trying to figure it out and it's challenging because it's different in every 
state. It's different yeah. in every city and every county, right? It's it. There is just no one size fits all. And so, but we have really tried to be at the forefront, very proactive about saying that, you know, we're here to help. We can do it. We have the trust. And, you know, one of my programs told me that the people that they brought somebody in to give them a vaccination literally were crying with appreciation Oh, I can. that they weren't left behind, that somebody thought about them because that's part of the issue with the seniors that we serve there. It's that you always told me the 5% of the population that represents over 40% of Medicare costs. Yeah. But, and so they're the high flyers and everything else. Of course, we don't want them high flying right now during a pandemic, Exactly. but generally they are and they're forgotten. They're left behind and they're hungry and alone. And so the fact that we're able to make those connections really means the world to them. And I got to imagine the critical importance of, of just such trusted people as your 2 million volunteers helping to directly address vaccine hesitancy yeah. in the vulnerable communities. Right. I mean, there is, there's no question there is hesitancy, but it starts with education and it starts sure. with education with someone that you trust. Yeah. And, you know, Bob Herbelsheimer always used to say, you know, when, when we were doing a, that pilot for five years with a Medicare Advantage plan, yeah. that people had Meals on Wheels name and phone number on their refrigerator. That's the first person that, or the first place that they would call because of trust. Yeah, exactly. It's critical, uh, especially in this day and age. So the birth of a, a new golden age in health equity, as I like to think of it. I mean, certainly health equity was just all over every transition document and has been a very prominent stamp on everything that the Biden administration has done so far. We know that this next COVID relief package has, uh, that's now sitting in the Senate, um, now has a, a huge um, investment in Meals on Wheels and in uh, local food uh, initiatives. And then you've got the Older Americans Act and then the Community Development Block Grants, which I think both took a hit during the Trump administration, right, Ellie? Do you see, uh, you know, a resumption of a, a much more progressive approach to funding for the various sources of capital for Meals on Wheels? Well, I have to say we've been really lucky, John, that we've gotten, you know, bipartisan, bicameral support for Meals on yeah. Wheels for a long time. Forever. Uh, forever, really. And that's critically important. Um, and even through two, three of the relief packages, we did see Older Americans Act funding for senior nutrition programs. Now, though, I think the new administration is, is very, very committed, has really gone out there on a limb and said, you know, hunger, particularly senior hunger, hunger of any kind is unacceptable. And they're putting their money where their mouth is, as far as I can see. So in the, the latest relief package that the Senate is considering, there's $750 million for Older Americans Act nutrition programs, which are the programs that fund Meals on Wheels. And additional and very important, equally important, if not more, SNAP funding, and yeah. also block grants and LIHEAP and everything else that the low-income uh, population that we serve, the socially and economically in greatest need, need, absolutely need those funding sources. They're all important. So we're hoping that, you know, that that will continue and that it will stay as it as it has with the house presentation so yeah and it, it certainly seems like it's got the, obviously the president's full support and it certainly got overwhelming public support i mean people want to talk about unity but you get unity when you talk about what's in this relief bill 
Yeah. So over 70% of the public is supporting this thing. And we hope that the Senate will actually represent the interests of their constituents as this thing comes up. Um, recognizing all of that, Ellie, and I got to imagine that the the philanthropic uh, donations that, that Meals on Wheels also relies on must have really been severely strained during all of this. Yeah, you know, uh, it's very interesting because our programs were very concerned as we were as well, because when the pandemic hit, this was right the time when people are doing their fundraising galas and their golf tournaments and all of their local community fundraising events, which all had to be put on hold or moved virtually, which is never the same. But the silver lining for Meals on Wheels and all this, this is the first time we have gotten incredible attention from unusual suspects that have come to the fore to be extraordinarily generous. I mean, organizations and companies and foundations that heretofore had never funded mm. uh, Meals on Wheels or even you know, senior related issues. You might remember that I always use this statistic because it's to me so glaring is less than 2% of all philanthropy, individuals, companies, foundations have been investing in issues around seniors or aging. Uh, which 2%. is less than 2%. Of However, all of philanthropy in the U.S. All of philanthropy. So it's always been difficult because you never want to pit one cause after another. But, mm. I, but during COVID-19, we set up a Meals on Wheels COVID-19 relief fund, response fund, and we got $31 million directly wow. out to programs in need, front lines for emergency grants. And as a result of that, 19 million more meals, 1 million more seniors being served just because of that 31 million additional dollars. So that has been really encouraging. The question is, can you sustain it? Can we sustain it? And you know, when everybody else begins to go back to a new norm, for millions of seniors, this is their norm. Yeah. I think what's been a revelation for many has been everybody now understands what it's like to feel socially isolated. And this is something that seniors deal with on a daily basis. Most of That's them. been yeah. important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just the awareness from now, so many of us now in decision-making positions across the industry, really starting to feel what that what that's like. So in light of that, Ellie, where do you see, you know, your new sources of revenue for this huge national network that you've built and are sustaining now? Where are those new revenues going to come from? We talked a little bit about your health plan uh, initiatives, especially around Medicare Advantage. Love to hear where you see there being opportunities in other lines of uh, insurer business and and other sort of innovative ways that you're thinking about sustainable financing for for your organization. Well, it's uh, there's no stone left unturned. I can tell you that, John, uh, because the need is so great, and we have waiting lists mounting in every state in the country. Um, So what I've been focusing on besides trying to ensure that the federal portion of funding is as robust as it can be, fighting like mad for that uh, because it's a public private partnership. So for every dollar we're able to raise in federal funding, we need to get at least $2 matching private. So social impact bonds pay for success. I'm still looking at that, working at it. That's hard. It takes a long time. I know you and I talked about it for five years now. And it's like bond financiers just don't get this stuff. No, it's still, uh, I I think we're still a little ahead of the curve on that concept. But um, 
I, I, you know, we've been in a lot of campaigns where organizations that feel like they already have invested in hunger, they may have their hunger partners. Now that social isolation is such a growing issue. I mean, it's been a pandemic anyway, yeah. among our population. Yeah. But now people are much more aware of it and they understand the health consequences of it. I feel like we have opportunities to build bridges with new partners, but I am not giving, healthcare to me is still the number one opportunity, yeah. I think, where we can partner and, and have great outcomes, improve you know, health outcomes, reduce costs and improve quality of life. To me, that is like core to what we're doing. And then augmented by partnerships and employee engagement opportunities because mm -hmm. employees see uh, they want to work for companies that are making a difference in their communities. And Meals on Wheels is the perfect example of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So are you seeing a lot of opportunities opening up with, say, Medicaid plans or with uh, plans in the, uh, the Obamacare exchanges as well that are largely serving a working poor population too? Yeah, I mean, really so far, our, we, we're, we're in the beginnings of Medicaid working closely with, with different states to get involved in that, that's a little bit been a, a little slow going too. Yeah. But but I think I thought when you and I first talked years ago that we were late to the game, and I realized that you know working with some very bright people have said you know what you're actually a little ahead of the game. Healthcare is still trying to figure it out. No no complaints about healthcare, but just trying to figure out how to work with social determinants of health, how to work with a community based organization. Yeah. The thing is, there are a lot of myths about that. You know. There's a tendency to want to go to for-profit because you think there's more business acumen or, or and, and frankly, we have to run like a business. So, uh, and so I, I still totally believe that with Medicare, Medicaid, we're working, you know, to make favorable policies so that, that that's built into, so that it's a covered, it's a covered expense. Yep. And now we have the program of which we're sort of a part of, uh, in our own little way, uh, the Opportunity Zone program, which meshes well with the neighborhoods in which uh, Meals on Wheels uh, serves primarily. And, you know, these are the roughly 9,000 vulnerable communities designated across the country that if you invest capital in and you leave it in for 10 years, then all of the proceeds on it are tax-free. And then that opened up about $6 trillion in available capital for investment into uh, companies, uh, new companies, especially in these underserved communities. So that's what we've been up to in you know, the last year and a half since uh, we opened our doors up. And we just, every single engagement we're in LA, it's probably about 40 of them at this point, yeah. food security has been the undercurrent in all of them. Yeah. And it all came off of that landmark study that uh, Geisinger did um, up in Pennsylvania with their, uh, their unmedicated uh, diabetics, their uncontrolled diabetics, they found they were spending about $300,000 per patient per year on their elderly uncontrolled diabetics. And so they started, as you pointed out, a medically appropriate meal delivery service for their diabetic patients. And within a year and a half, they had that average cost down to $48,000 per patient per year. So net of the cost of the meals prepared, delivered, they saved about $200,000 per patient per year. Amazing. And that, you know, combined with what the work you've been doing at Hopkins and, and all of your other uh, controlled studies around this stuff really demonstrates the, the complete power of food as medicine. 
and the unique role that you and Meals on Wheels uh, play in it, Ellie. So as we go forward, I am, as always, excited about the opportunities before us and look forward to working with you and your, your network of affiliates as, uh, as we provide better food security for seniors and, and other vulnerable folks around the country. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ellie. Great thanks, to John. You. It's good to thanks. see you. Yeah, thanks for being here.